0: Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. That's right, Easter is just three weeks away, three weeks before Resurrection Day. We're going to have a celebration around here, and listen, I want to challenge every single one of us, every person in this room, everyone, everybody, invite somebody to come celebrate with you on Easter Sunday. And invite them and, and tell them you'll, you'll be with them. You'll pick them up if you need to. They can sit by you. Invite somebody uh, for, for service on Easter Sunday to celebrate. We even have these uh, cool little yard signs. You might have seen them out in the foyer there. We've got these printed up. You just get them and you just whoop right down in your yard. You can put up there if you like for the next few weeks. Uh, just a great way to kind of start a little conversation with your neighbor and uh, pick one up. They're free out there as you're leaving. Um, that would be awesome. Also, uh, today is, uh, see, we got the beginning of spring break for most of us today, so happy spring break for some of you. Um, If you're a grown-up and you have to go to work tomorrow, I'm sorry, Uh, but uh, for for a lot of people, it's a spring break, so that's fun. Also today, for many of us, it is day one of our 21-day fast, our Daniel fast that we are doing together, and uh, so I hope you're Jazz and excited about that. And, you know, today is going to be uh, the first Sunday in a long time. This sermon comes to you caffeine-free. So I'm going <laughs> to stumble over my words. I'm going to blame that. Um, drink a lot of water this morning, but that's okay. Uh, but it's going to be good. You know, I, I, was, I was talking with Mel, and we had some friends over the other night. We were talking about the fast coming up, and I was just kind of being honest. I was like... <clears throat> I'm not like super excited about this fast, you know. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the Lord tells you to do something, and you're like, yeah, it's gonna be great, and I'm gonna do it, it's gonna be powerful, and, and you get excited about it, and then sometimes you just, you know, it's just kind of you're doing it out of obedience, you know, you're just not feeling the feels, and I gotta admit, this time I wasn't like, like, woo, I can't wait to fast, um, <laughs> and, uh, but, Melissa said something, and uh, some friends of ours, they were saying something, and she she put it in writing, and I just wanted, if it was okay with her, I want to read a few of the things that she jotted down here, and this was so good, and I just want to share this with you, maybe to encourage you, because it's totally changed as of this morning, my outlook on this. Fasting is worship, not works. Fasting is worship. Whether it's food or a habit related, we know that fasting is not about impressing God, getting him to do what we want him to do. He's not any more impressed with us. It is about dying to our flesh in a way that opens our spirit to hear his voice more clearly and to recognize his move more intimately. It reawakens us to his presence. And this is good right here. And it reminds us that I am not the center of the universe. That is so good. That's good. That's a good thing right there. A very good thing. I am not the center of the universe. I need to be reminded of that all the time. And so this is a great opportunity over the next three weeks. And so you know what? This morning I woke up, I was excited about this. I'm excited because I think God's going to move. He's going to show himself huge. He's going to show himself in our church. And it just makes it all the more easier when we're doing it all together as a community. So it encourages me that so many of you are participating in our 21-day Daniel Fest. Um, there's brochures in the north foyer if you need some, a little more details on that. what's a Daniel fast. It's, it's kind of a vegetarian type thing. No meats, no sweets, they call it. Um, but there's even a little grocery list that'll help you out when you're doing things like that. And um, anyway, if, if you hit a rough spot and you need some encouragement, call me up and uh, I'll say, come on, you can make it one more day. If I I can go without these breakfast tacos, you can too. Come on, we can do it. We can do it. Okay. Well, let's jump in here. We're in week two of our series, Show and Tell. We're exploring the how, what, and why uh, of evangelism. Uh, we're, We're looking at our motivation, our methods, and the message that we are actually sharing, of sharing our faith with other people. What does evangelism look like? For the rest of us who are not professional evangelists. I think most of us in this room probably haven't felt that call to be an evangelist, you know, one of those offices. Uh, and so we're not like professional evangelists, And uh, but what does evangelism look like? Because it turns out God has called all of us to share the gospel. So it's not just for those who are called, It's all of us. So, we're going to look at that. Um, Last week, we talked about the fact that we looked at the early church, and that's kind of been our model for this. We're going to, these three weeks that we're doing this, we're looking at the early church. What did they do? I mean, there's no better place to look. We looked at their motivation. We looked at the fact that they grew at this exponential rate, uh, despite some of the greatest persecution that, you know, we can imagine. Despite The fact that what they were inviting people to do, which is convert to Christianity, to follow this this new faith, this new way of life, was virtually unheard of in that day, Um, and and despite all the lies and kind of urban legends they had to come up against all the time that people were spreading about them, yet still the church grew, still the church grew, and what motivated them, we looked at three things, why did they put themselves out there And risk their well-being, their comfort? Not only that, but even their lives. Why did they risk that to evangelize? We saw last week their motivation came to at least three things. One was obedience to Christ, a concern for others, and joy and gratitude, just a gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. And this morning, before we jump into today's thing, I want to share one more thought about that, but one more key behind this irresistible period of growth for the church And that was this, that evangelism for that early church was not just the job of the church elders. It was not just the job of the clergy or the apostles. It was not just their job. They grew because the early church had a philosophy of involvement of every member. A philosophy of involvement for every single member. Every person of the church took this mission to make disciples and evangelize as their own. Every person sitting in those little bitty churches, they said, this is my mission. And this is maybe the area, you know, that we've gotten things upside down a little bit here in the, in the West. We, put, we tend to put far less emphasis on all of us taking an active participatory role in the Great Commission. Um, we, you know, we might find it the subject of an interesting sermon like today. You know, you might think, well, that was, that was interesting. Yeah, that was good. Um, but we might leave these doors at the end of this morning, thinking, well, that was really interesting. That's something that I'm glad to hear that other people are doing. <laughs> right? I'll be honest. How many of you left last week? I thought, man, I'm, I am glad that other people are doing that. <laughs> Did it change your life? Has everything changed? So probably not. If we're going to be honest, because so so because of that, we're going to harp on it a whole bunch until it sinks in. Right? <laughs> So we'll keep harping on it until it makes sense. Um, we find it an interesting subject. We, it, it tends not to have any real bearing on our personal lives, on our everyday lives. Um, but this is what we want to allow God to change in us. Because, um, I mean, we're going we're gonna to be more fulfilled. We're going to be happier and all that kind of thing. But we're going to obey, obey Christ. When you obey Jesus, that's where we want to be. That's what we want to do. We all want to be more like Jesus. Disciple-making is the calling of every follower of Christ— that's the point we want to get across. It's the calling of every follower of Christ, whatever your personality type, whatever your personality type. Um, all of us who call ourselves Christ followers should be in community with other Christians. We ought to be in community, and we should be evangelizing others. That's why we say at Generations Church, we say no one walks alone, everyone makes disciples. No one walks alone, everyone makes disciples. Now, how do we do that? How? Uh, what are the methods that we can use? There's a lot of different methods, and we're going to go over that today. Last week, we looked at the why of evangelism. Today, we're going to explore the how. Uh, Next week, we have a guest minister. Mr. Kim Tal Glasgow is going to be here, and he's just going to knock your socks off. He's going to be amazing. Uh, And then we'll finish our series the week after that. So just to kind of let you know how it's going to work. Uh, We'll finish on our week three with this, with what the message actually is. We'll look at, uh, you know, just in time for you to invite lots of people to church for Easter Sunday. You'll have seven days after that. So let's dive into these, because we've got a lot to cover, and I don't want to keep here all day. So I want to suggest eight ways this morning, eight ways that we see the early church evangelizing. And as we go through them, uh, be asking yourself, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in? How could I begin adopting these in my everyday life? Not just the ones that come easy, but maybe how can I let, allow God to grow me and stretch me for the sake of of the gospel, right? So be thinking about that as, you're, as we're learning this. Okay, here we go. Number one, the number one, one of the ways that we see the early church in the first century evangelizing, serving practical needs, serving practical needs, evangelizing. Remember how we said evangelizing, sharing the gospel, they, that word gospel and evangelizing come from the same Greek word. It actually comes from the same place, um, and it simply means taking the good news to people, Even the secular world back in that first century would use that word, that that evangelion. They they would use it sometimes if if a city won a battle against another city, then some messenger would be sent to tell the good news, the the evangelion across the the land. And so we, we see that word, it's sharing, it's taking the good news to people, manifesting that to people. And sometimes we do that through proclamation, you know, we get out there and we tell everybody. We do it through words, but we can also... Gospelize we coined that little word next last week We can gospelize people by showing them the good news. Uh, I can show people what the good news looks like, what it looks like, lived out in my actions, uh, by serving their needs as well. And we're talking about something very specific here. It's not just kind of being nice and hoping people notice. it's actually serving their needs. We see this throughout the New Testament church they gospelize people through serving practical needs. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul talks about this his evangelism strategy and he says, "We don't preach about ourselves, instead we preach about Jesus Christ as Lord." So in other words, the gospel's not really about me, it's not really about you. The gospel is about Jesus, it's the good news about Jesus. Uh, you know, if that guy who, who came to talk about love and forgiveness and the end of religion, if that guy really is Lord of the universe, that is a universe we can get behind. That's a universe we can get excited about, we can tell people about. Um, there's hope there. So what we preach is Jesus. And then when we do bring ourselves into the conversation, what, it is, what do we say about us? He says, we describe ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Some of your translations might say servants. So, he's saying, if I'm going to talk about us, it's about us as your servants for Jesus. We're we're your servants for Jesus. Not we're the people who come along and, you know, make you feel guilty and judge you for your sin. It's we're your servants. Rather, we want to tell you about this incredible person who lived 2,000 years ago, who gave his life for us, and we really do believe that he is Lord of the universe and that he is the manifestation of God in the flesh, Jesus was God, and that here's what he thinks about you, and we tell, tell what he did. He loves you that much, and that we're here to serve you in his name. This had, this had a profound effect in, in that first century. Um, a philosopher in the second century named Tertullian of Carthage, he said, all men love th- those that love them. It's particular to Christians alone to love those that hate them. See how they love one another. Isn't that cool? And, and one of the ways that uh, you can put this into practice is by going to people in your circles, those maybe you, people at work, your neighbors, your friends, and saying, hey, I'm a part of Generations Church, and you know, we love to serve people uh, any way we can. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to serve you? Is it, is it maybe it's helping them babysit? Maybe it's raking some leaves or something, carrying them somewhere, maybe there's a crisis, need to take them to the doctor, making a meal, whatever it is, How can I let me know how I can serve you. And you can do this on your own. You can do it as a group with some friends. You can get together. Maybe your home life group wants to get together and kind of do it communally. Maybe you and your family decide to get together. Guys, we're going to get together. We're going to go serve. Um, And maybe for you, maybe for you it starts even right here at church, getting involved in one of our volunteer teams uh, who's serving, either on Sunday mornings or during the week or something like that. One of the things we always need at Generations, one of the things we always need is for people to step up and say, I'm going to be truly, fully committed, a functional part of this family. I want to be part of this family. I want to be part of this community, you know. And, And you make that decision to act like and serve as a valued, faithful family member, rather than, you know, just continuing to be a guest in our home. We love our guests, but some of us have been, like, guests here for two years, right? You're family now, right? Wash some dishes, you know, that's what I would tell my boys, you know, it's like, hey, you're not a guest in my home, go take out the garbage. Um, you know, we, we're family, and that's what, that's where, that's where the joy really is, you know, and it's being connected, being a part of that family, that's what being part of a community is all about. And in the early church, we see this acted out. It wasn't just how the church acted toward non-believers that won people over. People were even won over in how they served one another. And the world was watching. There was another quote. This is by Cecilius Cyprian. He is a third century uh, philosopher. He said this about the Christians. He said, they love one another almost before they know one another. They love one another almost before they know one another. So when you get involved in serving, whether it's here at church or it's your neighbors or wherever it is serving, you're part of this evangelistic vision. You're helping to spread the gospel when you do that. People can come, and they observe that, and they say, this is beyond anything I've witnessed in pop culture. This is really cool, and I want to be a part of this. Number two, if not serving, then suffering. Suffering like Jesus, suffering persecution. Now, just what you wanted to hear, right? Suffering persecution. Let, now, hear, hear me before you, you, you tune me out, okay? The, those with ears to hear, let them hear. When someone is persecuted, someone's picked on or whatever it is in our society, and they do not retaliate wrath with wrath, you see a whole new dimension There, you see what, that they really mean, the love that they've been talking about. That's where you see that love that they mean that. It's what we see in Jesus. He lived his whole life talking about loving your enemies. And probably people were like, yeah, well, let's see what happens when they come and get him. And then they got to see him live it out, loving his enemies. They saw it in the flesh, and that witnessed to people. And this was the case in the early church. Uh, we, we see it in the writings of Paul, he considered it like an honor, a pleasure that he got to share in the sufferings of Jesus. Not because like, oh, I love pain, but because he knew this is furthering the gospel. People are getting to see this, right? We find non-Christians watch the early church to see if they would live it out when they were suffering. The world was drawn to these people all the more when they saw it. Because they saw they really walked what they talked. They really, uh, they, they meant it no matter how much persecution they endured. Here's another um, interesting quote. This one is uh, by Athenagoras of Athens. He was a pagan philosopher who later converted to Christianity, but this is what he said. He said, They do not practice speeches, but exhibit good works. And when struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to the law. They give to those that ask of them, and they love their neighbors as themselves. This was a philosopher who became a leader in the church because he witnessed this persecution. He witnessed people suffering and then acting like Jesus. Check out what Peter says uh, in in 1 Peter 3. He says, but happy, that that word Pastor Albert was just sharing with us, happy, blessed, happy are you, even if you suffer because of righteousness. I mean, hey, if you're going to suffer, let it be for something awesome, Suffer for righteousness. You know, don't be terrified or upset by them. Trust in God. Don't fear intimidation. Don't be troubled by it. Now, a couple thoughts on this. Let's just take a second. Notice this isn't the the same idea of suffering that you sometimes hear religious people claim that God is into. Sometimes people uh, are, are sick and they're dying or they're suffering emotionally, and religion tells those people, well, God's just trying to teach you something, right? So you're suffering. No. I would say no. God doesn't make his children sick any more than you would make your children sick. Would you make your children sick? No. He's not a psychopath. Um, God loves his children. Satan hates people. It's hard for us to get that straight sometimes. God loves people. Satan hates people. And, And, you know, hurricanes don't come and wipe out homes because God got angry with sinners. As if Jesus never came to the cross and changed everything, right? That's that's not what God does. When we talk about suffering like Jesus, suffering for the Christ follower, in the New Testament church, when we see this, it is always about representing Jesus in the face of hardship, hardship that is brought on because you're representing Jesus, See, a hurricane doesn't care if you're representing Jesus, but someone who's persecuting you does. And that kind of suffering is is part of our calling. So we will have to make sure we really get this straight. Sickness is part of the curse, okay? Persecution is part of our calling. Sickness is due to the curse. Persecution is part of our calling. So that's that's one, one point. Another point. Often there are aspects of the gospel, and the Bible says this too, the gospel can be offensive to people because it is teaching while while some ears hear it. And this is freedom. This is freedom from my sins. This is amazing. Other ears hear the gospel and it's offensive because it's coming against religion. It's coming against the powers that be, right? It's offering this new way. And so Jesus comes into the world and and he tells everybody, hey, all these other little gods of yours are not leading you toward truth. I am. I am leading you towards truth. And that can be offensive to people. Because there's an aspect of the gospel that's potentially offensive, often what, you know, some Christians can do is we become offensive in our attitudes and then we blame the gospel when we take people off. Um, you know, we be, can become arrogant and judgmental. Uh, and when people say, you know, I'm so offended, I don't want anything to do with this, we go, well, you know, the gospel can be offensive. Um, I know I'm preaching the Word of God because everyone's mad at me. <laughs> right? Um, and the New Testament is very clear on this. If we're going to get in trouble whether that's harsh persecution or it's just judgment, someone looking down their nose at you. Yes, if the gospel has been honestly portrayed and you're communicating it and the gospel is creating offense because it's been lovingly communicated and they reject its truth, so be it, so be it. But we ought not do anything in our attitude or actions that should load their gun for them, right? That gives them an excuse to fire back that's not your role, so we can't hide behind that excuse. If you get in trouble, Peter says, I hope it's for doing good stuff, not bad stuff toward other people. And then he says, look here, what you need to do when you're persecuted, continue to love them back, and then you regard Christ as holy in your hearts, and then you're always ready to make a defense of why Jesus is Lord of your life whenever anyone asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So even when you're picked on, even when you're excluded from those social circles or discriminated against because of your faith or something like that, you just keep loving back. You keep loving back. And then what happens is people see your initial service, you were serving them, and they see what's really happening in your heart, and they'll want to ask you about this belief of yours. And they'll come to you with questions, that, and then you get to testify and help answer their questions. And he says to do this, look at this, with Respect and humility. Respectful humility. Do this with respect and humility. Respect and humility. So, you know, if nothing else, you may not have all the answers to all the questions, and you probably won't have all the answers, but at the very least, Christians should be known for respect, for humility, our gentleness. And one, one translation says gentleness and respect. Now, question is that the word on the street for Christians? <laughs> right? Well, I'll tell you about those those fundamentalist uh, born-again evangelical Christians, they, they may not have all the answers and you know they might I might not agree with everything they say, you know, when they talk, but you know what I can say about them is man, when I when I look at how they talk with others that they disagree with, when I look at the kind of you know, the petitions that they're signing, and I look at the rallies that they're organizing, when I look at how they have conversations with, with people, you know, that they disagree with. Boy, those people are filled with respect and humility. It's it's, it's okay to disagree with people and to stand behind what you believe. Um, If it's different from what they believe, that's cool. But we should so be serving their needs. We should refuse to fight wrath with wrath, fire with fire, that they have to admit, man, I might not agree with them, but they are so humble in their approach and so respectful of others, even those they disagree with, who can fault them? Number three is answering questions raised by our lifestyle, which we, we just covered this. Your, your love, your humility, your serving, your willingness to endure slander, that raises questions from folks. And then you get to talk about Jesus. So your, your life, you should be living a questionable life, Right? Number four, inviting people to hear about Jesus. Inviting people to hear about Jesus. Um, we see them in places like John 1, John chapter 4, Acts 19. We see example of this all through Scripture where people simply invite, either to invite Jesus, hey, Jesus is in town, or, or in the later years to invite to hear Paul or some other Christian speaker uh, talking about Jesus. Come on, this, this speaker's in town, and these places would be full. They didn't have advertising back then. How did that happen? People were inviting and uh, it was people inviting other people. So and this is a way that you can get involved in evangelism, especially, you know, for some of us in the beginning of our walk with Christ, maybe you're a new Christian, you don't really feel comfortable articulating everything. You could say, but I can invite people, right? I, I know other people who seem to articulate this. Okay, I'm going to invite people. It's a valid, that's a valid ministry. Number five, let's move right along. Initiating conversation. Okay, so you've invited people, right? You've served them. It's okay to actually initiate conversation now with these. These are the people in your circles. You've, you've developed a relationship. You, you sense they have questions. They're questioning your life. You've gotten to know about them. And you just say, hey, can, can I talk to you about a way of living, a way of, a way of thinking, of understanding that has had such an impact on my life? Can I tell you about that? And if they say no... Uh, you know, or you start to tell them and they're like, you know what, I'm not really interested. Uh, you say, that's fine. No worries. No worries. You know, you don't have to just barrel on through. Uh, you don't have to get freaked out. But you can initiate conversations about Jesus. And, this, and who is it about? What are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus, right? This isn't a conversation about switching religions from one religion to another or a conversation about you need to join this church or something like that. It's about Jesus. He's the core of the gospel. You can talk to people about that. And then we go from initiating conversation, which we see modeled by Jesus and by the apostles in Scripture, we go beyond that to proclaiming the gospel publicly and house to house, proclaiming the gospel. This is often really the one that most people think of when we say, uh, you know, we're involved in evangelism. We think of this, and for some people this is the, the scariest sounding one, but if God moves on you to go street evangelizing or knock on doors or to walk up to people in the mall, go for it because it's in Scripture. We're, gonna, we're not going to stop you. That's right there in Scripture. God uses people to not only have conversations with people they know, but to be led by the Spirit and share the gospel with people in public places. In uh, the book of Acts, it says every day they continue to teach and proclaim the good news. That's evangelion, that Jesus is the Christ, both in the temple and in the houses. And one translation says they they could not stop preaching. They couldn't stop every day. So sometimes we we, uh, shy away from this form of evangelism. And if we have to be honest, one reason, let's admit it, because there are some religious groups who um, are sort of well-known for this kind of evangelism. And we, you know, we, we think, well, we don't really want to be associated with those guys, and so we're just going to concede that method to them, the, you know, the knocking on the front doors. But, you know, really, I, I think this could be a really cool idea to build on, right? It would make, we could make a t-shirt out of it, maybe that just says, not a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, right? You know, what a great first, first you know, first line, right? Uh, you know, and, and way to open up, just say, hey, I'm from a local church around here, and I just, I'd love to, talk, to you, uh, talk with you about my faith. Are you open to it? And if not, that's okay too. Um, so, just a thought. Great t-shirt idea. <laughs> Number seven, writing about the life of Christ. Here's another important way we see the early church evangelizing, writing about the life of Christ. We have a New Testament today. If you brought a Bible today, you have that Bible because there were men and women who wrote with a purpose of sharing their faith with others. They wrote to share their faith with others. The four gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they're called gospels. They're called good news. That's what gospel means, good news. They were written as good news messages for others to read and believe on Jesus. Uh, two of them, Luke and Mark, both began their gospels that way by saying, this is, this is why I'm writing this. This is the gospel of Jesus. And then they tell the whole story of what happened through, through Christ. John ends his gospel in in chapter 20, but these things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that believing you will have life in his name. What a great mission statement for for writing this. That's why I wrote this, John says, so people would believe on Jesus. So this is an evangelistic tool. Now, even today, the writing doesn't stop. We've been blessed by the message of Jesus through Uh, people's writing throughout the 19th century, 20th century. Some great writers have come out, people who, authors who, you know, uh, use their gifts and talents to write passionately and persuasively about the gospel, and we look to those, you know, we're kind of like, those are heroes to us too. Um, And often, those can be very effective tools also for sharing with our friends. We can say, you know, if we're, maybe we don't quite know how to put it, but boy, there's a writer out there who just he puts it so beautifully and, you know, just perfectly. And we can say, hey, w- w- why don't you just read, read this book? And I'm going to read it too. We'll read it together. Maybe we can get together and talk about it, right? It's a great tool. It's a great tool. I will say this about writing. Because um, I remember growing up, the, the big thing was passing out tracks. right? You get like this big stack of tracks, and you just, you know, run down the street giving as many people as you can. One of the things that we learn from Christian history just a fact, is that people do not convert well, only reading something. Uh, in the early church records that we have, there's, we don't really have any record of someone having read a piece of writing and then saying, wow, I have to convert. Um, so, handing someone a piece of literature is no substitute for a relationship, for pursuing a relationship with them. And what we do have evidence of is people uh, within the context of a relationship Using a piece of writing or a book or something like that to enhance the relationship. And it becomes a point of dialogue with that person. And so it's a tool you build on that to lead someone to Jesus. But it doesn't replace your relationship uh, with someone, but it, it can enhance it. Then, lastly, last one, we'll end with this one. Number eight is sharing or describing your own experience, sharing your own experience. I want to look at a story from the Gospel of John. I love this story. Uh, Just for some context, this is the guy who, the blind guy, Jesus heals by spitting in the dirt. He makes some mud. He puts it in his eyes. And then everybody gets in trouble because it was on the Sabbath. And we find out that was because it was against oral Torah, not even like the written Torah that we all have in our Old Testament. But it was part of the oral Torah, this tradition of the elders of the day, that the making mud or clay, and especially on the Sabbath, uh, was was taboo. Number one, because they thought it was you were like working on the Sabbath. Number two, it was like making you could be making a graven image or something like that. They had all kinds of problems with this. Jesus, who's so awesome, goes out of his way to offend their religious sensibilities and to make this point. You know, he's saying, "I have authority over your traditions." Here, he could have healed him in any way he wanted to, uh, but he did it on the Sabbath using mud and. And he this intentionally unreligious way. And the religious leaders get all hot about this, and they're interrogating this poor guy who got healed. Uh, and, and they're, you know, because they're, they're saying, you he got healed on the Sabbath by making clay. Surely this cannot be of God if he's breaking our religious traditions. And they grab the guy who's been healed and uh, he doesn't know what's been going on. You know, he's not a scholar. He's just the guy who's been blind all his life. And they sit him down in front of the interrogation, and they keep hammering him with their questions. And in John 9, it says, Therefore they called him a second time for the man who had been born blind and said to them, Give glory to God. That phrase right there is, uh, was used in the Jewish court system. It means tell the truth, admit the truth, because God is watching. That's what that means. They're not saying, like, Praise God. They're saying, tell, you know, admit the truth. God's watching. We know this man is a sinner. And how does this guy respond? He's just this normal guy who got healed, and now he's supposed to make a defense. He hasn't been to seminary. He hasn't been coming to a good church like generations for a long time, right? He's like, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. I love this guy. I was blind, now I see. I see. I'm not even going to enter into your religious debate. That's like above my pay grade. Y'all can deal with all that. I know that this is true of my own life. I was blind. Now I see. There's something about your personal experience that cannot be taken away from you. It can't be argued away from you to say, well, I don't know the answer to all the questions. I don't. But I do know this. And here, here is the brilliance of this. Someone can argue to death, your interpretation of Scripture. Someone can argue philosophy with you. They can argue history and what really happened. They can argue current events. Well, this is what's really going on. They can argue that, so you just want to like, slam yourself in the face. They can do One thing they cannot debate with you is what you've experienced inside you. What you've experienced inside you. So I, I say learn this phrase. It's very useful. I don't know it all, but I do know this. I don't know it all, but... In fact, let's just say it together. Ready? Here we go. Everybody with me. I don't know it all, but I do know this. Very helpful phrase when you're sharing your faith, right? God has not called you to know it all, (laughs) right? Everybody can do that. When you're an eyewitness and they pull you into court because you saw a crime happen, do they require that you have studied as a behavioral psychologist with the FBI, or that you understand the law and that you are able to prove this guy's guilt or innocence. No. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't have to know anything. What you're there to do is testify of what you saw. To testify. To witness is to be a witness. To witness to others is to be a witness of what's happened to you. We're testifying. We're testifying. So tell people what Jesus did for you Tell them what he's meant to you. And then prove it by loving and serving with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to hear more and to learn more about your will for our lives. God, this And I know this this should be really easy for us all, but we come to the cross with all kinds of history and all kinds of baggage. And I thank you, Lord, you are patient, you are kind, you are loving, you understand that. And I thank you, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit right now is moving on every heart in this room to start living with courage, to start living, trusting you to go before us and to be there with us, that you're not sending us out like lambs to the wolves, but you're with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. You've you've left us a comforter. You've left us the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be the disciples you want us to be, to be disciples who make disciples, Father God, and help us to do it together because no one walks alone. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. If you have anything in the world that you need prayer about before you leave, I want you to come on down. Let these wonderful people pray with you. It's not the same when we pray. And, uh, yes. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.